This is The Playbook. This is Dave Meltzer with Entrepreneurs The Playbook, and I have an entrepreneur for you, Andrew Gincola. He's the founder of Mastery Money and the host of one of my favorite podcasts. We're killing it in the same neighborhood, the Personal Finance Podcast. Welcome to The Playbook, Andrew. Thank you so much, David. I'm so excited to be here. You know, I know from doing so much social media, when I get the real deal, when there's a resonance of critical business issues of helping people. And I noted in the intro that our frequency is our neighborhood. You are definitely in the right neighborhood. And your community that you built is one of not following, but engagement uh, in the mastery of money. And of course, for personal finance, which is so critical, especially nowadays, what do you think your secret has been on the podcast to build such an extraordinarily engaged community? So the biggest thing that we wanted to do is make a major difference in terms of people who want to build wealth, because there's a lot of people out there that don't know that they can build wealth. And I truly believe that anybody in this world can build wealth. And it's that abundance mindset that you have to have. So what we did early on was we started with zero audience, but we wanted to start off and be able to reach as many people as we possibly could. So the biggest thing I wanted to do was inject enthusiasm and excitement into this subject, because a lot of people out there aren't like me, where I love this subject, talking about money and personal finance and all those other things. So a lot of people think it may be a boring subject, but for me, I wanted to inject the enthusiasm that I actually have for it, because it can absolutely change your life and it can create freedom for your life if you learn how to handle your money. And so that is the most exciting thing for me is being able to create freedom for other people's lives. So that's what we started to do. And then to scale it from there, it got shared so many different times that now it's just getting shared all over the place. And people who find our podcast, we wanted to make it a bingeable personal finance podcast. That was our goal and to help as many people as possible. And so that is kind of what we've started. And that's the impetus of what we wanted to do. Um, and that's kind of what's happening now is so many people are just sharing it back and forth. Yeah. And they're really sharing it because I think you make a great distinguishment in finance, which is the difference between something I wanted to be when I was little, which is rich compared to building wealth. And unfortunately, when you want to be rich, it's easy to lose your money. When you build wealth, it's actually very difficult to lose your wealth. What uh, types of lessons have you learned and share about the difference between being rich and making a lot of money or building wealth? So the biggest difference between being rich and building wealth for me is that a lot of rich people can have a very high income, but wealthy people keep that income and they put that income into assets. And so wealthy people over time don't even have to work at some point in time. They have the freedom to not be able to work where rich people still have to work for that income. You can think of athletes out there that have gone completely broke where they have a very high income, but they spend all of that income. So for me, there's a major difference. And the wealth factor is something that could be absolutely life-changing because you have that freedom. If you're wealthy, you have freedom with your your time, with your energy and everything else that you can do day to day, you can absolutely change your life because you're doing what you want to do every single day and your assets are doing the work for you. So wealthy people have a lot more time and they know exactly what they want to do in life and they have that goal. And there's very easy and simple ways to achieve that goal. Yeah. And several assets have a classification of an expense, but they're leveraged at a tax-free asset. And I always, uh, have what I call now the 52% rule, which is what we live by in California, which is, would you like to purchase an asset that already contains a 52% uh, benefit to it guaranteed uh, because you can leverage that asset uh, and hedge as well, interest versus income. Um, when we define assets, is there a certain classification of assets that you prefer to educate people on? Uh, or, you know, because we do throw around general terms, 
but I know specifically from my own strategies of building wealth versus being rich. And I was rich, just like an athlete and lost over a hundred million dollars. Now I've built an extreme amount of wealth that I leverage because I understand classifications or categorizations of assets. What are some of the things that you share with your audience as well on which assets provide the 52% rule or are better assets than others? So I have a number of assets that I absolutely love. And some of my favorite ones specifically are if you are just starting out, one of the easiest ones, especially if you have a career or something like that, you can invest in something like an index fund, which is low cost over time. It is something that builds wealth over time. And the cool thing is you can even look at somebody like Warren Buffett, who in my opinion is the greatest investor of all time. And I know, David, you've met Warren Buffett before. Um, and, and I also cool think he's the greatest investor I've ever met. Exactly. I think he's just, and I study him so closely. And if you look at what Warren Buffett does with his family's wealth is he actually puts his family's wealth into things like low cost index funds, because you can at least expect a specific return over time that you can get with those. And they have very low costs. And as we know, expenses can really eat into re your returns value. The second thing I absolutely love is real estate. I started investing in real estate in my late twenties um, and started buying real estate rental properties, flipping houses, those types of things as well, because the amazing tax benefits, and we just had an episode that just came out about the 10 amazing tax benefits with real estate investing. And there's so many different things that you can do from the 1031 exchange to various other write-offs that you can have with real estate. And the third thing I love, and this is a major one that's really coming up now, is I absolutely love boring businesses. Now, what I mean by boring businesses, or you can think of things like the mom and pop car wash down the street, or electricians or plumbers. Those businesses, there's a major impetus. If you could look at the great generational wealth transfer that's happening right now, where the majority of the baby boomer generation owns 46% of businesses out there for small businesses. And the millennial generation only owns 8.6% of businesses out there. So there's going to be a huge wealth transfer of people acquiring these businesses that do not know what to do with them and or they're going to be able to um, either sell those or a lot of people who are selling those boring businesses don't know that you can sell them. So you can really get good terms on those businesses with seller financing or even government loans that are out there where you can really get into a business for 10% down and be able to have a multi-million dollar portfolio of small businesses as well. Yeah, I'm going to work my way backwards on those because I have a few things to add as you and I both share the same philosophy, mindset, heart set, and handset is the boring business have one other attribute that provides exponential margins, which is that most of them have been built over 30, 40, or even 100 years, and they have antiquated systems. And so by upgrading with simple, you know, payroll, POS, uh, a lot of them uh, are using, you know, old school, uh, you know, radio uh as far as dispatch goes and you know just being able to put them online and to be able to schedule online can double and i've seen it in in plumbing for example you know 100 year old contracting or plumbing business that is utilizing an antiquated dispatch system and you put in you know a true uh, online uh, scheduling system that is almost free and the business doubles immediately and the efficiency doubles immediately. So boring businesses that need technology are extremely exciting to me as well. Uh, then real estate always, and I'll just add why, in my opinion, as a lawyer or someone who has a law degree, that our government, uh, our entire system is based on protecting the landowner. So if you don't understand the inherent nature of being protected by your own government uh, and getting all the advantages of that, then you're missing the point in real estate. There's always money to be made, no matter what the economy is doing, no matter the supply and demand is at. And then the simple fact of our hero, Warren Buffett, is that he teaches Einstein's rule of 72 or compound interest better than anyone. And not only understanding the compounding 
effect of a guaranteed annuity or a guaranteed investment, but also what is being spent in fees. Those are the three lessons to hit those top three investment categories, which I, of course, am aligned with Andrew as, as well. One of the other areas is we are looking at a downturn. I call it the margins of millionaires are made in a downturn, especially an accelerated downturn. And because this time and age that we're living in everything's accelerated. It's not a slow downturn and it's not a slow recovery. Uh, that's because things change fast. Um, I create a ledger, uh, especially when I'm preparing for a downturn in certain industries, careers, jobs, et cetera. Uh, and it's a simple uh, investment versus expense ledger and making sure I'm hypercritical in analyzing, is this an investment? you know, marketing my brand? Is that an investment to build a community? And what return on investment exponentially will I see in the next three to five years of the downturn? Or is it an expense? For you, how important is it at this time to analyze expenses versus investments? And do you see a great ROI where we're spending our money on investing instead of maybe a high, a high car payment compared to investing today in a downturn market? I think right now it is one of the most important times to be tracking your money. And I'm seeing a lot of people spending frivolously when they should not be. If you look at the largest companies in the country right now, all the CEOs are preparing for the downturn. They're preparing for winter, essentially. So they're building up cash positions or they're investing their dollars in things that will actually help them uh, when a downturn actually comes. And we all know we don't know when the downturn is going to come, but we know it happens. So one of the major factors there is being able to invest your dollars in places that will actually be preserved, especially when that downturn comes. So that is one of the most important things that you can do right now is making sure you understand exactly how much assets you have real true assets and what your liabilities are and how many liabilities you actually have if you have high debt high interest rate types of uh, debt that you're going to have to go out there and try to get rid of those before the major downturn comes because as we know from the last recessions that is a major problem if you're stuck with a ton of debt and then you lose your job and you can't pay for that debt so there is a number of factors there to protect yourself but i think by far right now is one of the most important times to make sure you're tracking where everything is going yeah, and paying off debt is essential and understanding your debt is essential. But one of the other things that you talk about that I really enjoy on the podcast uh, is the understanding of linear time and compound interest and growth as far as your own personal wealth goes. Um, and you talk about the first $100,000 or the first monies that you make exponentially are, are so difficult. And people don't see the seeds under the trees that someday they'll sit under because it seems so difficult. It's like, I've worked 90% of the time and all I have is 20 grand. And I'm like, oh my God, that's so great. And they're like, what are you talking about? I said, because in the next 5%, you'll have 40 grand. In the next 5%, you'll have 80 grand. And it will continually be faster. And the 80 turns to 160, 160 turns to 320. Pretty soon you're making $640,000 if you just hang on for a little bit longer. But most people, the 1% of the 1%, everyone else quits the 1% for the 1% sees why your first for example 100,000 is the hardest i was hoping that you know you could explain why the math makes sense why the first monies would be so hard Absolutely. So what I always talk about is getting to your first $100,000. And originally, the, the impetus of that was Warren Buffett's business partner, Charlie, Charlie Munger said this, he said, whatever you have to do 
get to your first $100,000 because it gets so much easier after that. And the reason for this, it's not that $100,000 is a magic number, but what's happening here is to get to your first $100, your savings rate is what's actually powering you to get to that level instead of it actually growing and compounding over the time. So for example, if you invest $500 per month to get to your first $100,000, 75% of that is going to be your savings rate and only 25% of that is going to be compounding. Now, when you get to your first million, it's completely completely flipped where 75% is your actual compounding and only 25% is your savings rate. So that's the one of the most amazing things that you can do is get to that point as fast as you possibly can. And it's one of the reasons why I focus on doing that very early and often. So that once you hit that point, you can hit the ground running and it gets a lot easier and you can take your foot off the gas a little bit, especially if you are young and you're listening to this podcast, that is one of the most amazing things that you can do to set yourself up forever. If you can get to your first hundred thousand dollars, at least in your twenties. And I also think, you know, at a higher philosophical level, that money's a magnet. And I've always found the more money that I have saved, the more money I attract. And I just believe energetically. I know Bob Proctor, who has passed away in January of this year, one of my great money mentors and business mentors and well-known and worldwide, well-known as well as being in the movie The Secret. Uh, when I lost everything, I went to Bob to ask for help. I went to Steve Wynn to ask for help. I went to the people who sat in a situation that I wanted to be in and asked them how to get there again. And they told me the difference of building wealth and making money. Uh, but one of the things Bob told me, and he had a little bit more confidence, I think, in my own situational knowledge and relationship capital, he said, your life will change when you put $2 million in the bank. Your life will be so much better than having $100 million of assets, Dave, but $2 million in the bank. Uh, and just trust me. And that math was what he was talking about to have the confidence, not only in the 75-25 rule, but moreover, making prudent decisions, not off of scarcity, that there was no business. Once you, I got to $2 million, there was no scarcity in my decision-making that I was making decisions off of my intellect, my intuition, and my inspiration. Uh, one of the areas too, that you do an exceptional job with, which is really important to me, is building massive wealth for my children, creating a family bank, uh, not dissolving, dissipating and dividing my family by finance, but instead building massive wealth uh, that empowers my children to do whatever they wanna do, to empower others to do whatever they wanna do. Uh, key tips in what is most essential to me, one of the things I really enjoy on your podcast and also hearing your philosophy and strategy of building massive wealth for our children. Absolutely. So one of the key tips and the major one is that you can start really early and often. We actually have a system that we talk about um, where you can build generational wealth for your kids with a very small amount of money over time. And the reason for this is like we're talking about, we have compound interest for such a long period of time as your ch children grow up. So they have a much longer time to compound than we obviously do. So you can start off, I can explain this whole system, but you can start off just by when you're, we, if you have a child and your baby is born, you can do this as something like it's just a cost for your baby, baby being born, just like a hospital bill or anything else, where you put down $1,000 into an investment account. And we, the example we use is something like the S&P 500, for example. Um, and when you put that $1,000 down, then you add $100 every single month. And the cool thing about this is what you can do is every birthday, every Christmas, we add $500 to those accounts. So it's, it's an additional $1,000, or you can do $250 in each account. And if you just do the $250 in each account for birthday and Christmas, it's amazing how much it can grow. So what happens is by the time your child turns age 18, if, if compounded to 8 to 10, if it does an 8% rate of return, 
over that time frame, what they're going to have is about $81,000 in that account. And the cool thing about this is you don't have to add an additional dollar to that account. And if you let it compound and you let it ride, by the time they turn to age 65, they'll have over $7.6 million in that account. And this is just one simple example of how you can build wealth on autopilot. You can set it up automatically where it transfers over into that account. You don't have to think about it every single time you get paid. It just transfers into that account. That is one of the most easy ways to actually build wealth for your children. But there's a number of other ways as well. John D. Rockefeller, that family is one of the wealthiest family that actually preserved their wealth. And one of the things he did was he made sure that every single child, when they got their allowance, reported back exactly how they spent that money. And basically, he was teaching them how to create a budget. And they handed that down for generations and generations, and they all know how to track and spend their money, and they preserve their wealth over time. One of the biggest things that you can do with your children is teach them how to manage money. Because if they understand how to do this, then they'll be able to preserve that wealth over time as well. 79% of people who inherit money, 79% lose it by the second generation and over 90% lose it by the third generation. So if you can prevent that from happening, doing all this work to build that generational wealth and they understand how to handle that wealth, it's absolutely life-changing for your entire family. Yeah, from short sleeves to short sleeves. And it's you know such a math and unemotional math uh, approach. And, and that's what I love. You and I both love math and applying the math. I think, you know, that example about how your money has evolved till you're 18, what makes it so powerful is you get three extra doubles, right? If you start at zero compared, to if you started at 21, you know, by 65, you would have three extra doubles, you know, and if you start at 42, you would have six extra doubles. And if you don't start until you're 63, right, you have nine extra doubles. So just take $2 and double it nine times. Look at the advantage of starting early and starting little. Take $2 and use a permeation of nine. And so uh, one of the great pieces of advice that Andrew gives and applies to all the different critical life issues and finance issues is math. Just simple math and taking the emotion out of the math. And Rockefellers were well known for a family bank as well, which is something I subscribe to where my kids have a family bank. They pay for their own college. Do they get you know, long terms at 0% interest? But yes, they do. And do I have control over deferment? Yes, I do. But do they also have the pride and empowerment of telling people that they paid for their own college and also were more motivated to get scholarship money because they're paying it back and they're only paying it back in the family bank for one reason, so that their children can get an interest-free loan over 30 years to pay for whatever the hell they want to pay for as well. Um, what a great idea, the Rockefellers. And as you know, comparatively to the Vanderbilts, who 100 years after their wealth was formed, and Vanderbilt was the richest man on earth 105 years previously when they had the 100-year uh, reunion, the only thing the Vanderbilts were known for was the $2 million that he gave to Central University that became Vanderbilt University. Everybody else, not one single person in their lineage was a millionaire, unlike the Rockefellers. Andrew himself has Rockefellian blood in him. Andrew Jankola, he has one of the top podcasts on finance, the Personal Finance Podcast, one of my favorite podcasts, one that I'll go on anytime because he is the founder of Master Money and the host of the Personal Finance Podcast. Everybody, let's follow Andrew. Let's join him in making a lot of money to provide wealth to help a lot of people. And most importantly, as they say on the old schoolhouse rock commercials, math is fun. And we can apply that math to even making and mastering money. Thank you, Andrew Ginkola, for joining me. This is David Meltzer 
on Entrepreneur's The Playbook.